that desire wouldn't be content without your filling. And give us marriages that wouldn't be content without the filling of you. We ask all things in Jesus' name. Marriages like recon. You have in reconnaissance, and you guys are going to have to stay with me for my metaphor here. You have a recon team, but we typically split up into two elements. And so you got to go walking around. And where do you work? You work in enemy only in darkness. Because the idea is you only have six guys. Even if you run into the Keystone cops, right, they're going to monkey stomp you with six guys. Okay. So how is this similar to marriage? Well, we have one unit. We have two entities within that unit. We're operating in enemy control territory. This marriage takes place in enemy control territory with an adversary that actually doesn't care for us a great deal. Okay. So what do you do there in reconnaissance? The first thing is you very often have to split up into two elements, right? I know. You see that? That's a PowerPoint, man. Okay. <laughs> it saddens me that 27 years in the Marine Corps, this is what I have to show for it. <laughs> anyway, all right. So if you're looking for, if you, if you know of a job at the Pentagon, making slides, I'm your man. Okay. So we both split up, and a lot, very often I've got to go look at this, or he's got to look at that, or, or my other team's got to go over there and set up calm, and I've got to go look. Either way, it's at night. Enemy control can't find each other now. Right? We have to link back up. Same thing in marriage. We got married. We thought we understood each other. We know each other at some level. But invariably, they're going to continue to evolve. They're going to continue to grow and become a different person. You're going to continue to grow and evolve and become a different person. So we can't, it's not that we can't geographically locate them. It's that we don't understand them as much as we thought we did. And they don't understand us as much as we thought we did. And so we, so we have these two recon teams. This has happened to me a couple times uh, and it's, it's ugly. So I need to find these other clowns, right? So we're walking around in the woods or, or in the jungle at night. And so there's a, one way to do it. We can both go looking for each other. I go to where I think they are. They go to where I am. Then we, oh. So you call on the radio, dude, where are you? And you're like, I'm in the jungle. It's night. <laughs> okay, where are you? Yeah, it's jungle. It's night, man. I'm next to this tree. Oh, that's helpful. Thank you. Right? And so you're looking for each other. Here's the problem. You've also got an enemy. Right? So you're bumbling around through the jungle at night with an enemy who's looking for you. So what's the metaphor in marriage? We're bumbling around there. I'm trying to figure her out and move to her. She's trying to move to me. But we're not in the same location, and we don't really understand each other. We're ignorant of each other. And we have a genuine adversary that doesn't care for us and particularly doesn't care for Christian marriage. So then, let's say I'm walking around through the woods. I've got my NVGs. I see this weird green shape with a gun. It could be my, it could be my other team. It could be the enemy. So I take aggressive action, make sure that I'm ready to fight. They're like, oh. So they freak out and take aggressive action, get ready to fight. Maybe I accidentally shoot. They accidentally shoot, right? So I'm shooting at them. They're shooting at me. And then what's the enemy doing? He's like, yeehaw. He's like, well, I know where these two clowns are right? Okay, now we take it back a step. I'm trying to go to her. She's trying to go to me. She does something weird that I think is weird. I don't understand it. So I take aggressive action. She takes aggressive action. And who's taking advantage of this the whole time? Satan. So what can I do? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So what do we do on a reconnaissance patrol to, to alleviate all that? Ideally, we set this up beforehand, but we can do it in the middle of it. The key thing is we need a beacon. 
We need an immovable object. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever that doesn't change, doesn't move, right? Ideally, it's a beacon, okay? We can establish this beforehand. But whenever we establish, the key part is, the weirdest part is, as we get closer to that beacon, that immovable object, to Jesus Christ, what happens? Inherently, we get closer to each other. We can't not. Think about how much space there is at the bottom of the cross. Not much, right? It's one pole driven into the ground, two people at the base of it. If we want to get closer to our wives, more intimate, we've got to get closer to Christ. And if both people are moving that direction, that's the greatest potential for intimacy. So let's talk about it. My first marriage, I wasn't a Christian. She wasn't really that much of a Muslim. And we had intimacy. We had physical intimacy. We had intellectual and emotional intimacy. But at every level, it was constrained. There was a limit. Why? Because we're human. On our best day, we're still human. Then we also bring in the stuff, ignorance and sin. That limits that, that otherwise human capacity even more. And then the only way that we were able to realize our human potential even was through spiritual, through the divine power that we didn't have. She couldn't be a Christian. And even when I became a Christian in the middle of our marriage, right, I could be there at the foot of the cross. She knew where I was. She just wasn't willing to go over there. There's a limit to the spiritual and even the human intimacy that we were allowed to have. And I'll be honest with you, man. Once I got to the bottom of the cross, I started craving that. I wanted to not just have physical intimacy, right? And I would get frustrated in church. I'd see other Christian dudes, and I'd be like, I want to go shake them right? Because I'd be like, dude, you got a Christian wife, and you have the capacity to go beyond physical intimacy, and you're not, and we very often aren't availing ourselves of it. We're either blithe to it or ignorant of it. God forbid, right? We can both be at the bottom of the cross. So human intimacy. So we, have, we already talked about this, and I would say there's different levels. So the lowest, obviously, is physical or sexual. Nothing wrong with it. Right? In fact, it's an important one. It's the one that probably gets the engine started, I think. Then we've got intellectual, right? A sense of closeness that develops between a couple. Then we've got the last one, or not the last one, but the last human one, emotional, where we're able to be vulnerable. We're able to accept the fact that, look, I'm going to take off some armor here. She has the ability to harm me, and I have the ability to harm her. Okay? But we also have the ability for greater emotional intimacy. But there's a limit. So what are those limits like we talked about? It's a human limit. No matter how far I want to take this, I can only be so physical, so intellectually intimate, so emotionally intimate. But even that's constrained. So let's say this is Dallas's level of intimacy capacity, right? I'm not even maximizing my human capacity. And why? Well, first, I don't know me. I have no idea why I do most of what I do. I'm literally in nose pick mode. I do it, and I'm like, man, that was kind of dumb. Why'd you do that? That's why we have bartenders and psychologists, right? You go there, and you talk, and you're like, man, I don't, what, the, what was I thinking? He's like, yeah, I don't know, man. But then, let's make it even worse. I don't know her. And here's the best part. She don't know her. That's why we got Oprah and Dr. Phil, right? Is she's trying to figure out what drives and motivates her. So if she doesn't know, and I don't know me, how the heck can I possibly really know her? So there's a level of ignorance. Then there's the worst part. 
where we move past ignorance into deliberate obfuscation to sin, where guilt, fear, distrust all evolve out of sin, where we're deliberately hiding parts of our lives, where we know it's there, God knows it's there, but we don't want anybody else to know it's there. All these things limit what we could, the level of intimacy that we could have, right? Now, here, let's make it worse. Let's throw another person in there, right? Where she comes in there with a level of ignorance about herself, about you, and her own sin. Then, let's put this together in the Rubik's Cube of sin and ignorance, right? So, what's crazy here is her emotional desires and capacity cut across your ability, of, your emotional capacity, intellectual and physical capacity, and your desires physically or, you know, your capacity for intimacy physically cuts across her emotional and intellectual and physical ones. And we have this weird hodgepodge of sin, ignorance, and desire, right? Left to our own devices, this is the best it gets. So this is what my first marriage looked like before Christ, right? And it shouldn't be a surprise. We're humans. This is it, okay? But what do we want spiritual intimacy for? We want the, the, the hope and the life, the life, right? The light that we found in Jesus Christ. And we want to bring that from our individual relationship into our marriage. We want to take and get rid of the human limits and add divine capacity, divine limits. So what's wacky is we start to know ourselves as God knows us, this opportunity. And I'll tell you, that wasn't pleasant initially, right? When you sit there and say, God, show me my sin, which he answers that prayer really quick, right? And you get a chance to see what's in there. Oh, my God, that's not, that's initially not very comfortable. But then we start to get to know her as God knows her. Wow right? But then we add to that. Then we have the ability to deal with guilt, shame, sin, distrust that we can't deal with on a human side. So I stole this from Joe Terry. Great, but how? (laughs) You're telling us all this great stuff, but how do we get there? Okay, (laughs) Seaburn. Chemical, biological, radiological, you know, decontamination, right? I know there's some Seaburn guys in here. Okay, So we have a contaminated heart, right? We have something that's not intimate with Christ. Well, so this is my metaphor. So we have a radiological or a biological, we'll say a chemical event, okay? And you have gas on there. And what tends to happen is it tends to pool up in enclosed spaces, and it actually gets worse than the exterior, right? So you have a more contaminated structure. Remember the tent of this life, our heart. You have a more contaminated structure than even what's on the outside of it. So how do we get that contaminate out? Because you, you go in there with a canteen cup and scoop, you know, and try to scoop it out. You go in there with some Windex and some paper towels. Yeah, you're going to be in there a while, right? A way to do that is we want to really purify it. We want to make it holy. We want to fill it with one pneumos or spirit. How do we do that? Well, we get one of these. You have two diaphragms, which means it only allows air to pass one direction. And we have clean air, something that manufactures good spirit or good air, the Holy Spirit. And what do we do? As that pumps in there, it doesn't suck the bad air out. What does it do? It fills it with the good air. Pneumos, it fills it with the good spirit. And that spirit eventually occupies 
all the nooks and crannies of that space. And then what does it do? It slowly begins to force out the contaminant. Right? That's what it means to be pure. That's what it means to be intimate with Jesus Christ. There's nothing left in there to contaminate because it's overfilled with the Spirit. So, another way of looking at this, instead of the Rubik's Cube of shame and ignorance, right? What if we take and we're born again in Jesus Christ and we're both born again and we're both under the blood of the King, right? And we're grafted in where the physical, intellectual, and emotional are wrapped together in one being. We're created new in Christ. And then we have two beings created that's new in Christ and that now instead of a Rubik's Cube shame, right, we have a different being, right, that's bathed in the blood of Jesus Christ, that is capable of intimacy that the world can talk about but can't have no matter what they do. So how do we get there? So I'm literally picking my nose at a, a worship service on December 20, 2004. It was a great worship service. They had it set up like a cafe at my other church, and these teenagers were back from college, and they're, they're leading worship. The weird part was, is I was about a year into my separation. I was, I was a little depressed, and I hear this word, sanctified. Now, you know, if I talk to my non-Christian friends, they're like, that's your brain talking talking to other Christians, that's God talking. Whoever was talking, who says sanctified, right? It's kind of a weird word. How about put it in a sentence, you know? Use it in a sentence, then I understand what you're talking about. But I hear this, and I was like, man, what does it mean? And it really troubled me for several months, so I had to look it up, because it sounds very religious-y, right? What does it mean? So I looked it up, and it's synonymous with holy. I was like, oh, well, thank God. Now I know. Then I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) What does holy mean? Really, honestly, it sounds very religious. We use it a lot. What does it mean? Like, crap. So I start looking it up. And I was like, set apart. It was, a, it was a monumental letdown. I thought it should mean something more significant. Set apart? Then it meant single-minded. You know, so you look at James 1 or 1 Corinthians 2. It means I only have one mind. Remember that tent? It has one spirit in it. It's useful for one purpose. What does that mean? I was like, Oh, so when you're talking about the temple and the worm, we're making this ladle, which I thought was funny that there's a ladle in there, but you're making this ladle holy. All I'm doing is saying, I forever am only going to use this for one purpose. How do I make me holy? I become what? Sacred. Again, guess what that means? Holy. Guess what holy means? Set apart. It means pure in heart, undivided, sanctified, useful for one purpose, filled with one spirit. That's it. And that's important. If I want intimacy with my wife, it has to start with Christ. And if I want intimacy with Christ, it's holiness. And what's holiness? It's being filled with a love and a desire for Christ. That's where it starts. So we come up here. We want to achieve spiritualness with God. The first thing we have to do is aggressively pursue intimacy. And how do we do that? So there's uh, one of my favorite passages, Philippians 3, 7 through 16. It's, and Paul says, you know, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing and his suffering, becoming like him in his death. And I always thought, he's writing this after years of what? Knowing Christ. I mean, I never met Christ on the road to Damascus. I've never had a personal 
intimate interaction. We read about Paul. There's, there's more than likely he's the one that's caught up into, into heaven and seeing things that he couldn't even describe. I haven't had any of those experiences. And he's saying, I want to know Christ. That there's still some element of what he won't know. And that he still wants it. So it starts with, with us pursuing Christ. And how do we start pursuing Christ? It starts with confession. And it seems like a strange place to start, but it makes sense. When I was in Iraq, I watched these little kids running around barefoot. And I was like, mm, that seems unwise, right? They're running around on asphalt playing soccer with all that, that gravel and stuff. And I was like, how, how calloused are their feet to be able to run around and stuff? And then, you know, you look at your hand and you get calluses from the pull-ups. And it's, calluses aren't a bad thing, are they? They protect you. They insulate you from feeling things. What does sin do our heart? Right? It calluses the heart. Now, that can, very, that can be protective. You used to feel bad about what you did. And the more we sin, we build some callus. Right? And so we're psychologically protected from the shame of our sin. But we also stop feeling, period. Right? Have you ever felt cold and dead? I, I have, and I did recently. And you're wondering, what is that callus that's between me and Christ? And what's the only answer? Is to shave off the callus. And there's only one way to do that. First of it, starts intimacy with confession. Right? Is getting rid of that shame and fear and distrust between us and Christ first. No matter, if we don't fix that, there's no fixing marriage. Okay? And then we pursue greater spiritual intimacy. How do we do that? We want the same thing with our wives. So we have to start with greater aggressive holiness or desire for intimacy with Christ. Then, if it was necessary to confess and, and admit to our mistakes with Christ, then it's necessary for us to admit our mistakes with our wives. The very single hardest thing for me to do with Jeanette, once we got married, was to say I'm sorry. I wouldn't have done it if I didn't think it was the right thing to do, right? Yes, it might have hurt you, but you need to deal with that. No, I, I can just tell you, that's not the right answer, right? It's crazy. So I'm there, and I'm running around Burke Lake, unfortunately, by myself. Don't do that because it gives you time to think, right? And while I'm running, God kind of puts on my heart, and there was this something I considered a trivial stumble. So a few, this was years ago. I'm there, and I'm talking to this female police officer, and we're doing a reconnaissance. I'm pointing stuff out. And we're pointing at the map, and while we're pointing, our hands touch. And I was like, it was electric. And I was, I was stumbled. I, it didn't carry my mind further, but I'll be honest with you. I, I had blocked off that part of my life. I thought, I'm not, you know, I'm so filled with my wife that I would never stumble. And it caught me off guard. I was like, whoa, I enjoyed that. And it was difficult to stop thinking about it. So I confessed with God, and I'm like, okay, and I moved past it, but there was something there. When I'm running, and he's like, hey, congratulations, you know, you've talked to me about it, right? But why are you more ashamed of telling men about it and your wife about it than you are me? Which of those relationships are more important? And I was like, man. So I went and found the people that I most respected who I least wanted to lose their respect, right? And I had to tell those guys. And then who else did I have to tell? I had to go home and tell my wife. 
And I'll tell you, there was absolute sheer terror the whole day. I mean, send me back to Iraq and Afghanistan five more times. Instead of having to do that again, man. Right? Because you're sharing your shame. I mean, you share a lot of stuff. Who wants to share that part? I, I promise you, I do not. Right? And so I go in there, and I've been praying all day about this thing. And I tell her, and the amount of grace that she showed me. Right? Shave that callus off. It increased the capacity for intimacy. So that just a couple weeks later, you know, I said we should do this. She said we should do that. She ended up buying something that I thought was a bad idea and said so, and ended up being a bad idea, right? Normally, the way this works is we just never speak of that again. <laughs> and then same bed, same time of night, we're laying in bed, and she's like, hey, I'm really sorry about that. I, you know, I made a mistake. You know, the crazy part is now we have the opportunity. We're going to make mistakes, but now I can say it, and I can rectify it, and Satan can't use it. And the callus isn't there. And the level of intimacy that we have at our disposal now, it blows away anything that we've ever had before. So it starts with that. We have to remove any, in, any hindrances between our transparency. It, this stuff sells itself. Having that level of intimacy is worth the pain and the challenge of getting there. Okay? So how do we do that? Once we've shaved off that, that callus there and we've dealt with the things that are hindering us, then we have to start moving and pursuing again. So how do we do that? Well, Mickey Gavrick was so excited about this months ago. He's like, dude, why don't we totally start with the, with the spiritual intimacy at the very beginning? Because, it, you know, that was one of the key things between he and Ruth is prayer, <laughs> is praying as a couple. And the crazy part was, the way, apparently the way I hooked Jeanette was when we're in Iraq, or I'm in Iraq and we're talking on Skype, one of the first things, I was like, look, man, I have access to, fit, to spiritual intimacy now that I did in my previous marriage. I'm going to take advantage of it from day one. So we would pray at the end of every conversation. Unfortunately, it was like three in the morning my time, and so I'd pass out in the middle of it. But still, she counted it, right? So the weird thing is, is that uh, Chapman points out, maybe our prayers with our wives before bed should lack pretense, right? It should be conversational. It should be us conversing with God together. And so maybe it's comfortable. It's, it's reluctant to close. Like, it's, it's relaxed, right? It's time spent with, with our wives in the throne room of God, okay? And he talks about when we come together, to God together, we're also coming closer to each other, like I talked about in that first metaphor. Praying together holds great potential for spiritual intimacy, Perhaps it's why it's so difficult for us to do. Do we really want that level of intimacy? Because it is frightening, okay? When we pray together, we consciously come to God and share our thoughts and feelings with him. We offer praise and thanksgiving. This is our greatest opportunity for spiritual intimacy, okay? It enhances not only our relationship with God, but with her. I mean, imagine this. You've moved past the human. We've moved into the divine and we're doing it together. So very few other spiritual exercises hold the same potential for that. Okay? And there's some other techniques for how to do it. Specifically, communion. Common union. How else can we do it? We can do it through Bible study. Here was a mistake I made. When I did these Bible studies with my sons, we'd read a passage, and I would uh, Socratically ask them what they thought of it, and we'd work through the meaning of it. Right? I tried that with Jeanette. It did not work. 
So she does not want to be preached to, and she does not looking to be taught. What she is looking is a peer, an equal to read the Bible together and then talk about what it says to you or her, or just read it together. Just start there and see where it goes. Then they're serving together. That's difficult to do all the time, so we try to serve together. But then here's the best part. What about a praise report at the end of the day? Here's who the Lord let me talk to about Jesus Christ today. And you're telling her, and she's encouraging you, and she's telling you, and you're encouraging her, and you're pushing each other further, and you're praying for each other. If we sit together in church, and that's, you know, I do my best to make sure that we come to church at the same time, that we have at least one service where we get to sit together, hold hands, and then we get to worship together, right? We're entering the holy of holies together, holding hands. Sometimes we'll worship in the car together, and that sounds, it's good that we're in the car, because I'm not a great singer, and she's a good singer, okay? <laughs> we'll just leave it at that, okay? Then what, what's, we've been, we'll get anxious about things, right? And what have we learned to do about it now? Now we get to fast and pray together. We're like, okay, well, that's bothering both of us. Let's both concentrate on that one, and we're going to fast and pray together about it. And it, it increases that spiritual intimacy. But the big one is we get to confess together that the one person that I get to tell everything to other than Christ is her. All right, so consider a morning uh, basic daily routine, right? What do you do to get intimate with Christ? And it has to be part of your day. Whenever you do it, whatever you do, if you're not pursuing intimacy with Christ, inherently you're not pursuing intimacy with your wife. But then... Maybe there's a bedtime battle drill. I don't know. Whatever it is for you, I put up some ideas. But what is that time that you've set aside to, to experience all those intimacies? You know, that's wrapped up in a spiritual intimacy is important. So here's your discussion questions, okay? What I'd ask is, how intimate are we with Christ right now? That's the start. I mean, it, nothing else matters. If we don't get that right, we don't get anything else right. What hinders your intimacy? How spiritually intimate are we with our wives? And what's hindering that? And what's your, you, it doesn't have to be bedtime, but what is your battle? What is that time that you've set aside for intimacy with your wife? And if you haven't, what are you considering in the future? Okay, let me close this in prayer and we'll get busy. Lord, thank you so much. Please, God, give us intimacy with you. Let us start with that. Lord, if you take everything else away, Lord, will you be enough for us? And you are. So please, God, let us pursue intimacy with you. Let us pursue intimacy with our wives. Bless our time together and the time that we have remaining. In Jesus' name, amen.